Hello, everybody, and welcome to Gear Talk. My name is Laura Packard, and I'm the executive director of Healthcare Voter, but also I am a stage four cancer survivor, and the insurance that I got through the Affordable Care Act、uh, was what I used to pay for the treatments、uh, that are why I'm here today. So we bring you this show every week to answer your healthcare and health insurance questions. Please call or text in your questions, and we will answer them in a future show. Today, our first question is from Violet, who wants to know when is Medicare going to reduce uh, this uh, premium cost of $171 a month? Seniors are struggling,、uh, and we still have to pay for so much.、Um, bring that Medicare Part D cost down. This is criminal and shameful.、Uh, and here to answer that is Diane of Social Security Works and Just Care. Thanks, Laura. So it's a great question.、Um, the um, as as you may know or may not know, a lot of people don't realize that Medicare does not pay for every the the full cost of healthcare for folks.、Uh, the typical person, according to a recent analysis by AARP, spends about six thousand dollars out of pocket on deductibles, premiums, and coinsurance that Medicare doesn't cover. Um, for Medicare Part A, which is inpatient care, hospital care, care in a facility,、um, we're paying in、um, every year through payroll contributions to cover those costs. So Medicare Part A tends to be premium free, but Medicare Part B is a whole other can of worms, and that is paid for seventy five percent. Through general tax dollars, but the other twenty five percent is on the people with. And because healthcare costs continue to rise at rapid rates, the Medicare Part B premium has been rising enormously.、Um, part of that is as a result of、um, the cost of、uh, drugs that Medicare pays for under Medicare Part B. And、um, as you may know, this new Alzheimer's drug, Aduhelm. Um, what was responsible for increasing the Medicare Part B premium? Eleven dollars in and of itself, and that's terrible news. The good news here is that it increased the premium based on an assumption that CMS Medicare was going to be covering that drug in a in a big way, and in fact,、um, the government has decided only to cover that drug in limited circumstances. So it is possible. Um, I don't know, likely, but definitely possible that the Medicare Part B premium, the standard premium, could come down at least eleven dollars to one hundred and sixty dollars as a result of that. And then, just one other reason that the Part B premium is high is that we have been overpaying Medicare Advantage plans, you know, tens of millions of dollars a year for many, many years. And projections are again that we're going to be overpaying them. I think it's now. More than six hundred billion dollars in the next eight years, and those overpayments to Medicare Advantage plans end up being paid by everybody with Medicare Part B. It's not a huge amount of money, but it adds to the Part B premium, and that needs to be addressed swiftly. So、um, the reason that Social Security Works and Just Care USA and I am a big proponent of Medicare. For all, as it would bring down a lot of the administrative costs, which drive up the cost of healthcare, and also ensure、um, more more affordable care for everyone. In the best of all Medicare for all worlds, 
Medicare would be premium free and so would your healthcare costs. Uh, so we are still fighting for that. Uh, with, with enough fighters on the ground, uh, hopefully at some point we will see um, a move towards a more affordable healthcare system and guarantee. Our next question is from Frank that wants to know, um, does Medicare cover anything if you're in a foreign country? Diane? Actually, um, the reality is Medicare does not cover your care when you are out of the U.S. There are like very, very limited exceptions. Like if you're in a plane flying, I think over the U.S., something like that. But as a general proposition, if you're in another country, Medicare won't cover your care. The good news is that practically any other country you go to is going to give you very low cost health care, maybe less than your co-insurance. And Zoid from Health Sherpa, uh, do you have any suggestions for people traveling abroad or living abroad? What, what should they do for health insurance? You're muted. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I specialize mostly in the Affordable Care Act plans. And unfortunately, these typically don't cover care outside of the U.S. either. Um, I believe I have seen a couple here and there that will cover emergency care um, outside of the U.S., but otherwise um, it's only within the U.S. Um, if you're traveling, there is travel health insurance that can be a good idea, um, kind of depending on your situation and where you're traveling. But as usual, when we talk about plans outside of the Affordable Care Act or Medicare, um, they're not held to the same strict standards. Um, you have to really look at the fine print and make sure you understand what your plan covers. Just as one example, you might want to make sure that medical evacuation is included in case you have a really serious. Great. And our next question is from Anne. I often go in with a prescription and I'm advised that Medicare may not cover this, that, or the other test, and that I would be financially responsible for hundreds of dollars out of pocket. When calling ahead of time, they say they can't tell me until after blood is drawn and sent to the lab, and then they'll decide the pricing. It seems like a lose-lose situation. I'm, I'm wondering if anybody else is as frustrated as I am and not being able to get the results that doctors are ordering because we won't know ahead of time about the cost. Uh, do you have any health, helpful advice about this, Diane? So it's a great question. Um, the way the regular traditional Medicare program works as a general rule, if a lab provides you with a test and Medicare denies payment, the lab assumes the cost. And so in cases in which the lab is not clear that Medicare will pay, it tells the patient that it, they have to pay up front. It makes you sign a waiver agreeing to pay privately, which of course makes it hard for a lot of people to even get the test. Uh, the reality is that Medicare does pay for all reasonable and necessary lab tests. And so the question then becomes, can you get the help of your doctor who prescribed the test uh, in writing to explain why the test is reasonable and necessary and share that with the lab? In that case, perhaps the lab will not um, make you pay up front and it will feel more comfortable billing Medicare for the cost of the test. Um, but um, in other instances, if it still won't um, bill Medicare directly and wants you to pay up front, the best you can do if you really want the test is to pay up front and then send, ask the lab to send in the, 
the bill to Medicare with the letter from your doctor explaining why the lab test is medically reasonable and necessary. And most likely, in most cases, Medicare will pay because it must pay if it's reasonable and necessary. Now, that's on the public side of Medicare. Then there's the private Medicare Advantage side. And there, I guess, um, for people in, in, on that side of Medicare, you can um, probably go to the plan uh, for prior authorization. And if the plan says no, you can appeal again with a letter from your doctor explaining why the test is necessary. And I'm so sorry you have to go through these hoops. It shouldn't be this way. And Zoe, did you have any thoughts about what maybe they could consider? The question um, also men- mentions uh, prescriptions. Um, and at least in you know my experience and in talking with folks, um, really, if you can, the best thing to have on your side is a good pharmacist who will work with you. Um, oftentimes, if you're having issues getting insurance to cover a medication, um, then, you know, you if you have a pharmacist who kind of understands the system a bit, they can help you with either finding the coupons or, you know, sending the code in differently to the insurance company. They, they can often help you get that at least the first time and then kind of figure out from there. So as far as prescriptions go, that's what I recommend. Um, And I'd also like to note that for lab tests and other services, um, because of the No Surprises Act that recently uh, passed in the last couple of years and is slowly being implemented, um, insurance companies are going to be required to provide advanced explanation of benefits. So rather than after you get a service, your insurance company lets you know what they're paying and how much you pay, um, they have to tell you beforehand. Um, The enforcement on that is being delayed Um, because it is logistically difficult to implement that and enforce it. um, But that is coming on the horizon. And certainly I will share updates as we know more. Thanks. And that is our uh, people questions for today. Now I would like to introduce our special guest, Adam Hoyer from Protect Our Care, who will talk about President Biden's State of the Union speech and what the administration plans to do this year to improve our care. Adam? Thanks, Laura. Um, it's so great to see you and, and be with you. And then thanks so much for, for having me here today. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, I'll, I'll kind of go through what some of the administration's priorities seem to be right now on healthcare, especially coming out of the State of Union address, um, and maybe what's uh, feasible and um, what's aspirational coming out of Congress as a result. And look, it's been a long road uh, getting here, as uh, a lot of us know. Um, we thought we had some big healthcare gains through Build Back Better. Uh, when that passed the House last year, um, but that um, seems to have uh, hit a wall in the Senate, and more on that uh, in a second. So um, I'm the National Organizing Director at Protector Care, um, and as such, I'm kind of more on uh, the activist side than the policy side, and I'm certainly no Capitol Hill insider. So I'll give you my read of where we're at right now um, on health care provisions uh, from more of a, uh, an action-oriented standpoint. And for our purposes, I think in the healthcare space, I think a lot of this boils down to sort of these ongoing public negotiations between President Biden and Joe Manchin, uh, and and more on that in a minute. On the State of the Union address um, last week, we saw a few important and frankly encouraging um, things on on healthcare. And, you know, I I think a lot of us going into that speech uh, weren't very hopeful to hear a lot on healthcare or other social spending policies, just because the president, you know, he doesn't want to stand up in front of the country and make a bunch of promises uh, that he doesn't think will come true, um, because ultimately that undermines his credibility and makes him look like a weak leader. Um, And the expectations leading into that speech were 
A, it's probably going to be a lot of Ukraine and Russia, of course, uh, and B, even domestically, much of the talk going into it was about how Build Back Better was dead because Joe Manchin said that it was dead. Uh, and again, more on him uh, in, in a minute. But instead, uh, the president leaned in heavily to healthcare in his State of the Union address, uh, both to outline some of the accomplishments so far in his tenure in expanding healthcare uh, and making it more affordable and a lot of his administration's response to the pandemic uh, but also uh, in what he hopes to get done this year, which was really, really encouraging. And by our count, uh, President Biden named five different health care policies uh, that would reduce everyday costs for the American people. Um, and uh, this, to me, if I were a betting man, uh, is sort of in order of what I think is most likely to ultimately pass. Uh, and those five things are, one, uh, cap insulin out-of-pocket costs to $35 a month for Americans with insurance. And that caveat is unfortunately important. Two, um, giving Medicare the, the power to negotiate lower drug prices. Three, uh, reducing premium costs, specifically through extending the premium tax credits that were afforded by the American Rescue Plan that passed uh, a year ago this week. Four, closing the Medicaid coverage gap in states that have refused to expand Medicaid because of Republican governors and Republican legislatures. And five, uh, investing in maternal health and, and specifically bypassing uh, the Black Maternal Health Momnibus Act um, that Laura Underwood has championed in Congress, which are all great ideas. Uh, we'd love to get all five of those passed. Um, but what does this mean going forward and how do we make those things happen? Presumably, the president wants to get as many of this done uh, through reconciliation, the one-time Senate procedure that allows you to pass spending measures uh, with just 50 votes uh, through the Senate instead of the usual 60-vote threshold to avoid the to avoid the filibuster. That's the process through which Democrats tried to get Build Back Better passed, um, but once it got through the House, Joe Manchin said that he couldn't support it. So, R.I.P. B.B.B. Um, but the good news is um, we still have the reconciliation procedure in our arsenal to pass something this year with just the 50 votes in the Senate. Um, we have to call it something different than Build Back Better Now, since that's what we called the House bill that failed. Um, and I think uh, the White House has floated Build a Better America for this potential new version. Uh, regardless of the name, uh, after Biden's speech, Senator Manchin immediately um, came out and said that there was a potential spending bill that he could support in reconciliation. And he laid out what he thought uh, that could look like. And again, that's significant because without Joe Manchin's vote, uh, we can't get anything passed um, through the Senate. All Republicans are in lockstep that they're going to uh, oppose any measure um, through reconciliation. And I will say for all the frustration and delay that Senator Manchin has caused <laughs> on this, um, uh, and my goodness, uh, he has caused a lot of both. I will say he has consistently said that he wants three things out of this reconciliation bill. One, he wants it to be completely paid for um, through tax increases and government savings. Two, uh, he wants it to go through what he calls normal Senate order. Um, includes not blowing up the filibuster, but it also includes a more uh, drawn out, deliberate phase instead of a rush process. And three, he wants to be able to explain uh, the package to his constituents in West Virginia. And on that first piece that he wants the bill to be completely paid for, that's one thing that is actually pretty encouraging for us. Um, and it's one thing that he consistently messaged as part of that is drug cost savings and allowing Medicare the power to negotiate drug prices as President Biden. Um, because 
right now, the status quo, uh, the government is getting colossally ripped off uh, by pharmaceutical companies. It cannot even negotiate the prices of drugs that it purchases from them. So um, Joe Manchin has said, and, and he reiterated again last week, that he is in favor uh, of drug price reform and Medicare negotiation in particular, which is a win-win. You get a ton of, you save a ton of money that could be used toward other great policies. And you get a really good policy in itself that helps people by lowering their, their drug prices. And for those other policies that it could pay for, maybe that's more healthcare, like extending the premium tax credits um, provided by ARP or addressing the Medicaid coverage gap. Um, maybe it's some of the climate proposals that are badly needed right now as well. And maybe it's a little bit of both. That's sort of what remains to be seen in the coming week. On the second piece uh, in the uh, Joe Manchin bingo card, uh, that he wants this bill to go through normal Senate order. Some senators already saw this coming uh, because they know him well. Senator Wyden, uh, who is the chair of the Senate Finance Committee, uh, that committee would bear a lot of the brunts in shaping this new uh, legislation and uh, he announced last week that he'd be holding hearings later this month, including on prescription drug prices in particular. Uh, and Senator Murray, who chairs the Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, uh, she hinted that she would be holding hearings as well. So the wheels are in motion, uh, even if the Senate moves excruciatingly slow. And finally, on the third piece um, that Senator Manchin wants to be able to explain this to his West Virginia constituents. You know, th this is a little vague, um, but I get it. And I think it's important uh, for, for uh, our, our prospect. People get that drug prices are too high right now. Insulin is a very commonly needed drug. And we've seen a lot of those patients and storytellers uh, talk about this recently. People agree that the government should at least be allowed to negotiate drug prices if you ask them if they agree with this. And they also agree that the government should help with insurance premiums right now like what the American Rescue Plan afforded. And I think all of those things, as a result, have a good chance of passing. Um, but I also think that we might need to dig in a little bit more on the Medicaid coverage gap piece and on the, on the maternal health piece right now, um, just because those things are a little more out of sight, out of mind for a lot of folks right now. So on that point, and I know I promised to be a little more action-oriented, the last thing I want to convey here um, is, you know, there, there tends to be an air of inevitability around things like this. Oh, this is definitely going to pass, or there's no way that this is going to happen. But I think even recent history has taught us that outcomes can still be influenced, especially when it comes to healthcare. And it wasn't that long ago um, that on the other side of the coin, we felt pretty confident that we would get a lot of healthcare measures passed through Build Back Better. Uh, and the one question mark was around drug price reform, of all things, because of the influence of big pharma on a lot of members. But now it looks like drug price reform is the most likely healthcare provision to get done through reconciliation, just because of what the president and Joe Manchin have said, and because it's such a helpful pay for for a lot of other potential provisions. Um, and again, I emphasize looks like because I am out of the, uh, the, the prognostication game of what's going to happen with these senators. And just seeing you. Laura, I mean, how, how could we forget the days of skinny repeal in 2017 when it, sh it looked like a sure thing um, that ACA would be scrapped entirely? And, you know, we'd heard, oh, McConnell won't put something on the floor unless he knows it will pass. And sure enough, um, John McCain cast that deciding vote. And I say I bring those up to say, you know, when someone asks me what's going to happen with this legislation or that legislation, you know, there's there are a few different scenarios here. And again, some are more likely than others. Um, but the truth is we don't know. And 
but and we still have some say over what will happen. And again, Laura, I think you and I are probably biased in thinking that you know a big factor in shaping these outcomes is real people sharing their personal stories. It was obviously a huge part of defeating repeal in 2017, and I always think about the activists in the disability community who were so impactful in that fight and constituents with pre-existing conditions like yourself and myself, um, especially those uh, constituents of Collins and Murkowski and even Joe Manchin and other senators day after day sharing their stories with them for why repeal um, would just devastate them. Um, And even in this prescription drug fight, you know, the number of patients who rely on really expensive drugs, criminally expensive drugs right now, sharing their experiences Uh, And even at the State of the Union address, the First Lady's guest was a 13-year-old with type 1 diabetes, and the president offered up his story as an example for why we need those insulin caps. So um, I think it's incumbent on us to share our stories and the stories of those around us uh, with our elected officials on social media and letters to the editor, however ways we can. Uh, They're powerful, and they work. And you know that better than anyone, Laura. So um, I'll stop there. but thanks again for having me a lot, uh, having me on your show today, Laura. Thanks. And uh, I absolutely agree that uh, what's going to happen this year is not set in stone. And uh, you listening right now can have a big impact. So if you are paying too much for your prescription drugs, if you think health insurance is too expensive, or if you uh, were able to afford a policy for the first time last year or this year, uh, make sure to contact your senators and your representative and let them know what's on your mind and what you want them to do. And hopefully they are listening. Uh, and Diane, you had something to add? Yeah, I was just going to say thank you, Adam. That was a really great um, detailing of the biggest health priorities on the table now. Um, I wanted to add that Medicare Part D now has a demonstration, I believe, in every state for people who need insulin capping the price of insulin at, or the co- their cost for insulin, I should say, at $35 a month. So already, if you have diabetes and you have Medicare, you can choose a Part D plan. You have to go look for it. And it's a special type of, I think, innovation plan. Um, but you will only then $35 a month uh, for your insulin. We need to spread that. We need to make sure that everyone can get access to that. Uh, Adam, do you have any sense of when there could be something coming out of Congress? Um, I, again, I'm going to couch this with, I am out of the prediction game because who knows. Um, But if we follow that timeline of committee hearings starting as early as the end of this month, and again, I, I think some of that might be aspirational given that, you know, look, we have a Supreme Court justice to have hearings on. There's still the ongoing turmoil in Ukraine. But if that happens, I think next month is reasonable. They have a recess that they're up against uh, in mid-April, and there's no motivating factor like getting to go home. So I guess that is that is a time to circle is kind of that, that mid-April time. Uh but there isn't really a deadline for using the reconciliation process except for the end of the year, right? That's totally right. There is no deadline. But, you know, the further this thing slips out, the less uh, likely it's going to be that it gets passed. It's, it's always easier to poke holes in things. And so I, I think time, in a lot of ways, is not our friend. 
Mm -hmm. And Zoid, what's going to happen to some people's insurance uh, rates if nothing gets passed this year? Yeah, unfortunately, if if nothing gets passed this year, then those um, American Rescue Plan subsidies will go away. So folks who are able to get, for example, um, free silver plans um, this year will no longer be able to get those, those plans will still be available, but they will be more expensive. Um, folks who have income um, over 400% of the federal poverty line will again be off of that subsidy cliff, so they won't qualify for any subsidies um, as they had in the past. Um, and uh, so 400% of FPL, so that's the federal poverty level. Um, so that is it. the actual income depends on your household size. Um, so if you just uh, Google federal poverty um, level, um, you should find some different charts that'll show you for different households, um, their income, but essentially, um, there has always been that cap of folks who make over this amount, um, do not qualify for any sort of tax credits through the Affordable Care Act. The American Rescue Plan took that away, um, so that if you were, if your income was over that, you didn't have to pay any more than, I believe, eight and a half percent of your income, in insurance premiums for the year. Um, so unless you made so much that the insurance premiums were less than that, um, you got some sort of tax credit. So unfortunately that would also go away um, after this year. So we are really hoping that um, that Congress will be able to pass something to extend those subsidies because they're really helping a lot of folks, not only enroll in coverage, but enroll in really good coverage um, especially some of those silver plans, um, they can really cut down the cost sharing for a lot of folks who qualify for them. So that is that is our hope. Absolutely. Uh, and Adam, do you know, um, uh, so are there things that the administration can do on healthcare that don't involve Congress? You know, I, I, I don't know the answer to that question because I, I, I think Probably not much. And I should say, you know, the, the administration should get a lot of credit for doing as much as they could do, including opening up um, an open enrollment period uh, during the pandemic and extending Medicaid uh, through this um, pandemic emergency phase. Um, but I, I don't want to give an answer that is that is incorrect on that. So I might defer to um, to others here. I know that um, HHS uh, has the ability, at least in, for for one particular drug, they're deciding whether to uh, waive the patents to make it more affordable. So there there may be some things around the edges that the administration can do, even if Congress doesn't pass a bill. But major reforms like what we're talking about today, uh, we need Congress to get their act together. Um, I just will chime in that it's the it's the drug I think for MS um, that Xtandi is the drug a, a that, cancer drug a prostate cancer drug Xtandi oh it's a prostate cancer drug yes okay so that's one where definitely the administration has the ability to give um, give generic uh, manufacturers margin rights to manufacture the drug on the ground that the price for the drug is unreasonably high. Um, and they could do it for other drugs as well, but the administration, no administration has ever actually done it. And also uh, things uh, the administration can do in regards to pricing. Uh, we have a new HHS secretary, Javier Becerra, and some of the work that he's done in the state of California has been pres 
preventing some hospital mergers where these big hospitals merge with other hospitals to get even bigger so that they are the only provider in an area. And then they jack up their prices uh, that, that patients have to pay because there aren't other options. So certainly the administration has the ability to look at some of these mergers of healthcare providers. And if that is making a non-competitive market, um, they could certainly take more, uh, more action than the previous administration did to stop these monopolies that hurt patients. I think also, I, Adam, you may know this, that uh, the Biden administration has also talked about greater transparency and accountability from the corporate health insurance. I'm not sure only in Medicare or outside of Medicare. And I wasn't, it wasn't clear in what I read whether this would be an administrative um, act, an executive um, act, or whether they were going to be pushing Congress to do more on that front. I, th- I thought it was that they were pushing Congress to do more on that. I know they've already passed some transparency measures, but I, I think they were calling on Congress um, to, to force them to be more transparent with their pricing. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we are all rooting for Congress to do their job and pass healthcare reform so that all of us can benefit. Uh, thank you, everybody, for watching Care Talk. If you have healthcare health insurance questions, be sure to text or call in your questions, and we will answer them in a future episode. Uh, thanks again for watching. This is Care Talk.